Thanks for joining us for another great message from Influences Church Australia. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, blesses you and brings you joy. For more information about our church, go online to influences.church. And now for our message. I want to do three things tonight. Number one, I want to, um, I want to look at hard passages of Scripture. I think Gen Z and millennials, my generation, we tend to avoid and skip hard passages of Scripture, you know, or we have that Thomas Jefferson thing where we, we pull them out of the Bible. <laughs> Thomas Jefferson didn't believe in the supernatural, so he ripped every supernatural. I mean, all you have is, is Esther in the maps at that point, right? <laughs> um, I, I, and I think that it's important to look at hard passages you know, t- together. I believe that the Bible is, 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 is made to be read aloud in, in church. And so I want to read aloud some hard passages of Scripture. Um, and, and we're going to do that tonight. And then, and then number two, I want to be unafraid of tensions in Scripture. Tensions in Scripture. Um, I think at times there's this interesting paradox where like, a three-year-old can understand attention, um, but as we get older, like a 21-year-old can't. Uh, for example, like a three-year-old can understand that dad, daddy loves me, you know, but daddy spanks me. Yeah. You know what I mean? When my parents used to, my dad would like give me the belt and he'd be like, hug me. And I'd be like, okay, you know, like, <laughs> this feels weird. <laughs> but, but I understood it, you know, like I know why my dad spanked me because I'm, I deserved it, you know what I mean? Like I'm a brat, he told me not to do it, I did it. And I know my daddy loves me, right? It's a tension. But like kids these days, like they turn 21, they're like, God doesn't punish or discipline. He's pure love. And it's like, eh, eh, really? You know, like that's not the whole Bible. You hearing me? It's a bit dismissive. And I think it's important to understand that all truth is intention, Really? You know, if you want to grow as a Christian and you want to grow in your theology particularly, um, which you should grow in your knowledge of God, um, and that's all that theology is, it's just your knowledge of God and knowing him and knowing what, he, what he's like and anticipating him. And um, Well, you need to understand that there's some tensions in Scripture. There's some things that are in tension. My, my, uh, it's like a pup tent that you put up and, you know, there's, you got one rope pulling this way, and then you got another rope pulling this way, but it keeps that pup tent up, and we need robust tensions. I mean, if you're, if you're a word of faith person who's just blab it, grab it, name it, claim it, you know, and everything, you know, I just have experiencing victory all the time. Dude, I think you have COVID. Nope. <coughs> nope. I'm just walking in victory, right? Like, <laughs> right? And, and you're denying reality. You know, like, if something tragic happens in your life, your faith will just fall flat, you're going to need a theology of suffering. As well as believing that God's your healer. It's weird. It's weird, but it, that's the Bible. That's what we're called to. You hearing me? Sometimes you got to read the book of Job and just go, this life is weird. You hearing me? And then number three, uh, this is just for some of you Bible nerds. Um, I'm just going to let you look over my shoulder while I'm doing my homework today. Uh, or rather tonight, and um, what I want to do is I want to read some narrative in Scripture, stories, and we're going to read some, some, some crazy stories in Scripture, 
And then those stories are gonna terminate in the New Testament in an apostolic teaching. And not every story in the Bible is prescribing behavior. Like Cain and Abel. That story is not saying, you know, brothers and sisters, kill one another. Do you know what I'm saying? Right? <laughs> so some stories are prescriptive. They're, they're prescribing a behavior. Some stories are descriptive. And so what I want to do is I want to create a biblical theology. We're going to work chronologically through some stories in Scripture, and then we're going to end up in the New Testament, and we're going to create a theology of the Bible that we just read. Does that sound good? Okay. Okay, here we go. Um, if you're taking notes tonight, uh, this talk is called what, God, uh, what is God Like? What is God Like? Okay? Um, or, in, in parenthesis, the spookiest sermon I ever heard. Okay, 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 here we go. John 4, 24. John 4, 24. This is Jesus talking, and he says this, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. Uh, Jesus is not saying that God is cast with a friendly ghost. He's not saying that God is a vibe. Right, that God, God is a disembodied wraith. You know what I mean? Like he's just kind of floating around. He's like, bye, bye. Um, the theologian, um, gosh, I'm forgetting his name right now. Wayne Grudem, he says that God is what Jesus means by this is God is qualitatively other. When Jesus is saying God is spirit, he's saying, dude, God's made of something else. Yeah. He's not made of the same stuff that you're made of. Oh, he's made of something much weightier than what you're made of, right? You're flesh and bone. Some of you are skin and bone. But God is spirit. He is embodied. He does have some sort of corporality to him. We see that throughout the Old Testament, that he is, in fact, embodied. But whatever he's made of, it's not the stuff that you and I are made of. You and I are, are, are resigned to time, space, and matter, Right, we exist in the time-space continuum, right? For you Star Trek nerds, and um, we're living in this time, this time-space continuum, time-space matter. That's what we exist in. Um, in quantum physics, you know, the idea here is that whatever created time, space, and matter exists outside of time, space, matter. You hearing me? Yeah. Right. As Christians, obviously, we don't believe in the whatever. It's a whomever. It's a, it's a, it's a person, right? Like, so, you know, Stephen Hawking would say, you know, the point of origin where time, space, and matter, there was nothing. And then, boom, there was something. That's the Big Bang. And as a Christian, I'd reply that, that no. Um, well, yes, there is a person who, who spoke the world into existence. And you, Stephen Hawking, may know him as the Big Banger. You know what I mean? He's the Big Banger. God got on his drum set one day and just sang the world into existence. And boom, it was, right? But God exists outside of that. Now, you and I, once again, we're, listening, we're living in time, space, and matter. I can't go into God's space. I'm stuck here in the time, space continuum. But the story of scripture is that God, who lives outside of this space, created this space, and then came into the space. And he's like, hi. I'm the banger. I'm the one who did this. It's pretty cool, right? Yes, it is. It is pretty cool. So, this is who I am, and he reveals himself. I can't know God unless he first reveals himself. God is spirit. 
and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. I can't know God exhaustively because he's the big banger, man. He's like, he was, there's no beginning to him. And there's no end to him. Do you think that when you go to heaven, you're just gonna look up at him and go, I get it. I, I get you. No, dude, your mind is gonna be so blown when you're looking at God. You're gonna be like, who are you? Dude, who are you? This is insane. And that will be cause for praise eternally, right? It's like, God will show us another side of him another day, and we'll just be like, whoa, you know, drop on our knees, and I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. It's amazing. I can't know God exhaustively, but I can know him accurately. I can know him accurately because he's revealed himself. Right? And anything else without God revealing himself is just projection. You know, well, the kind of God that I worship is like, well, dude, that's not, that's, you're worshiping you because you've just created that. But if you want to know God of the Bible, well, then we have the scriptures. And the Father's work, looking for worshipers who will worship in spirit, absolutely, because God's put eternity in your heart. There's, there's spirit in there, and deep calls unto deep, and we have these spiritual experiences that are undeniable, Right? which always trump the unexplainable. Yes, there's this, that spiritual thing, but God's looking for people who will worship in spirit and in truth. He wants to be known accurately. Let, the, let the, the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. As in God, when I think about you, I want that to be right. And the things that I say about you, I want those to be accurate about who you truly are. And thankfully, we have the scriptures. We can know him accurately. And it's a work of grace. He's just graciously revealed what he's like. You hearing me? Okay, so what is God like? Well, God's holy. God's holy. Next verse, Revelation 4, verse 8. If we could just keep that up there, that'd be great. We got the four living creatures, and right now, this is a snapshot of heaven. Right now, each of them with six wings. Okay, these guys got wings. They're full of eyes, all around and within. It's like a, a tree full of owls. Just <laughs> circling the throne of God. These four dudes. And day and night, they never cease to say. You know, they're looking at God in close proximity. And the song that they sing is, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's the song that they sing. It's, they're singing it right now. They're not singing, love, love, love. Love, 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 That's the other fab four. Different band. Different band. This song is holy, holy, holy. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Different song. When, when, the closest proximity, the eyes. How can we describe him? Holy. That's the word that we'll use to describe him. In, with this proximity and knowing what we know about him, holy, holy, holy. God is called holy over 400 times in the Bible. 
over 400 times in the Bible. Jesus calls the Father, Holy Father. The demons, dude, they call Jesus the Holy One of God. Right? The, the third person of the Trinity, his first name's Holy. Should kind of give it away. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's not love spirit. I worship love spirit. Yeah, I'll bet you do. Yeah, I'm just super into love spirit at the moment. Sweet. You been into any music festivals lately? No, no. I, I want to know God accurately. I want to worship him in spirit and in truth. And, and the Lord is holy. Right? Throughout the New Testament. Right? The, this is the very last book. And the picture is a holy God. The picture is Jesus walking through the seven churches and doing some inspection. The picture is a holy God. Now, God is love. He absolutely is. Now, he's called love twice in the Bible. Let's go to this next passage in John 4. He's called twice in the same passage. Twice. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. But it feels like in my generation that the order is reversed. You'd think sometimes, you know, particularly when you talk to some young people that yeah, God has called love over 400 times in the Bible and he's called holy twice. That's an imbalanced theology. And it's not accurate. It's not accurate about who God is, what he's like. God's holiness has to do with his absolute moral perfection. He's absolutely morally perfect and he's committed to it. And I'm happy about that. It's good for me and it's good for you. Now, God's love flows from his holiness. God's love is a holy love. It's a holy love. It's a perfect love. Of course he's love because he's holy first. You hearing me? I love um, psychometrics. I'm, I'm, I'm huge into like Jungian psychotherapy. I'm all into it. I love it. I'm fascinated by it. I'm fascinated by the human psyche. I like the, the Enneagram. Like my brother thinks that it's from the devil. I'm into it. You know, he's like, it's cool, man. You know, like, what are you? I'm a three-wing four. You know, like, what are you? I'm an eight-wing nine. You know, like, oh, cool. Show me your wings, you know? Um, I love that stuff. You know what I mean? Sometimes I'm like this. This is, these are my goals, you know, like, um, Oh, they would be like that. They're a seven. You know, like, I love that stuff. It's horrible and wonderful at the same time. So judgy and wonderful. I like uh, Myers-Briggs assessment. Anybody done a Myers-Briggs assessment before? Those are fun. You know, like, I'm ENTJ, the commander. You know, like, um, this is who I am, you know. <laughs> um, I like the strength finder stuff. I like going on Facebook and finding out what Disney princess I am. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Jasmine, all the time. <laughs> I'm magical. <laughs> I 
the five stages of childhood wounding in, in, in Jungian psychotherapy, you know, are, are like, they, essentially, Jung believed that your personality, um, it evolves from your trauma as a child. And your personality is the way that you protect yourself in the world. So it, it really actually only manifests itself in relationships. Because in relationships, that's where we get hurt. And so our, our, our personality is our propensity, our proclivity. Have you ever, maybe some of you older people, when you're, when you're in high school, you know, you had a certain personality. And then 20 years later, you know, things have maybe changed a little bit and your personality's changed or whatever a little bit. But then you see a friend from high school and you re immediately revert back to that person that you were in high school. Because you're protecting yourself. That's how you protected yourself. That's how you survived, right? Um, and this is why I don't believe that any of that's the truth. I like it, but it's not the truth about who you are. The Enneagram's not the truth. Your, your, you know, your bioenergetic is not the truth. Because trauma is not who you are. I'll, I'll just say that again. Trauma is not who you are. Absolutely, we've all experienced trauma. Some people, horrible traumas. Some, some of us to a lesser degree. Your personality, is, is, it's a reaction to trauma. It's, it's like a knee jerk, okay? But that's not who you are. Who you are is your passions. The Latin word passion means to suffer. You are what you are willing to suffer for. That's who you are. Okay, so we can get insights about our personalities, the trauma and how we've shaped and how we protect ourselves, but the truth is what you're willing to suffer for. When I look at the cross, I see God, I see you, Lord, I see what you're like. Because the cross is the passion. What did Jesus suffer for? The holiness of God and his love for the world. And that is a tension. Right? It's like, whoa, that's, that's paradoxical. It's a tension. And we can't throw either pieces of that away. They both exist at the same time. And they're true. My niece Georgie's three years old. Um, she's, uh, she's amazing. Um, I got two nieces. I got Frankie. I got Georgie. Frankie's six. Georgie's three. Georgie's a girly girl. Frankie is a tomboy. Um, Frankie, you know, she has a mullet, not because it's cool either, you know? Um, she's like, she, you know, she wears spandex so that she can roundhouse kick you to the face. You know what I mean? She plays with dinosaurs, and she's always smashing things and, like, watching crazy stuff on YouTube. And Georgie is a girly girl. She only wears dresses. Only. Ever. Wears dresses. And the dresses have to swirl. She gets up in the morning and she goes sideways. She looks at the mirror and she'll. <laughs> Does a little kick at the end like every time. It's amazing. And, and, and the dress has to swirl. If it doesn't swirl, she won't wear it. And you know, she's always getting her nails painted. And when I was listening to her talks for Barbies a couple months ago, and she talks like, hello, honey, how are you? Oh, hello, darling, how are you? Very girly, you know what I mean? Like, Frankie's asking for like, you know, ninja stuff for Christmas, and, and, and Georgie wants a kitchen set, you know, like. 
I was, um, I was FaceTiming her and my sister and my, gra- um, my grandma, um, my mother and um, her grandma. <laughs> and the girls had been uh, op shopping for dresses for Georgie. And so they found some op, you know, some, some dresses. The dresses were too big. So mom's an amazing seamstress. So they're uh, at home and mom, mom's got all the, the material bunched up with the little pins or whatever. And we're FaceTiming and, and, and Georgie's trying to show off her new dress for me. So she's got it on and I'm FaceTiming. Show me, Georgie, show me, swirl. And she's like... You know, and she swirls, but it did, the dress wouldn't swirl because it was too bunched up with all the material at the bottom. And she started to lose her mind. She was bawling her eyes out. And my mom's like, quick, get it off, get it off, get it off. They pull it off, put on another dress, swirl. She immediately stopped crying. <laughs> Georgie doesn't really know me accurately. For all she knows, I'm Willy Wonka. I pumped that kid so full of Krispy Kreme donuts and chocolate. It's insane. You know, we, we both love donuts. But she doesn't really, you know, she, that's all she knows. She's, she's going to get, you know, donuts. But she doesn't really care about me or protect me, to be honest with you. I was at a family barbecue recently. And, and I'm giving her donuts. And my brother-in-law's like, Nate, please stop. Like, stop giving her donuts. She's going, you know, haywire. And I'm like, okay, okay, I will. You know, like, no, I won't. I'm going to give her more donuts, you know? <laughs> That girl asks me for anything. It's happening. It is what it is. And so she's like, Uncle Nick, can I ever turn it? You know? And I'm like, you can never turn it. You know? So I got a donut. We went out to the pool, and I'm like, okay, here, eat it. And she's like, this is, this is such a good donut. I'm like, you know? So, so we go inside. And like 30 seconds later, in front of everybody, we're about to pray. You know, it's like, it's quiet. I was like, okay, who wants to pray? Okay, you know, Gabe, you going to pray? And then she goes, Uncle Nate, that was the best donut in the world. I'm like, sells me out. <laughs> it's all about what she can get. And when life doesn't swirl, she balls her eyes out. I call that a Christian Buddhist. Christian Buddhists are on a, look, Abraham was on a faith journey, okay? But Christian Buddhists are on like a spiritual journey. And their spirituality is, it's all about how utilitarian it is. You know, how does this serve me? You know, I got yoga on Saturdays, I've got pottery class on Mondays, and I'm gonna come to church on Sunday nights because it's just been good for me, and I'm learning a lot about myself. I'm learning leadership lessons, and I like the songs. They make me feel good, and it's just, it really helps me to harness the chi and be a better me. (laughs) Right? Church is all about them. No interest in God or serving him or finding out what he's like uh, or what's important to him. Um, it's all about how does this, it's, it's self-help, it's self-betterment. You know, because ultimately they are their own authority and when you're the only, only authority, if, if, when you're the authority for everything, it's a lot of pressure on yourself and so life then is all about self-betterment because you're the, you're the, the buck stops with you. A lot of pressure. Christian Buddhism. Let me show you the first Christian Buddhists in the Bible. All right, here we go. We're going to get spooky. Genesis chapter 4. 
Genesis chapter 4. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. That's ancient Near Eastern speak for the good stuff. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, obviously, because Abel's like, I'm in this, God. I'm bringing you my best. I'm bringing you something awesome. It's yummy. I brought you yum. But for Cain and his offering, he had no regard, obviously, because, because the Lord's like, what, did you, what is this, a bruised banana? Am I supposed to be excited about that? You know what I mean? Like, wow, you really care about me. Thank you for that. Didn't even wrap it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so Cain was very, he's sad. He's not swirling. Oh, I didn't get my way. Yeah, because you're not in this. You're worshiping however you want. It's all about you, Cain. Abel has paid attention to what I want. That's why he brought the best. Because he cares about me. He loves me. He's trying to show me that his heart is in this. Cain, you are mailing this in. You don't care about me. And then when you don't get what you want and I don't approve and I don't like what you're doing, you know, it's like, <laughs> Christian Buddhists are trying to make God work for them. Right, I just, this, I'm, I've been going to church, I'm just, just trying to get God to get me a boyfriend. <laughs> I just need a man so bad right now, Lord. <laughs> Where is he? I am leaving that church. <laughs> I'm over it. I'm over it. Over it. <laughs> so Cain gets upset. Next bit. Uh, Lord said to Cain, why are, you, why are you sad, little munchkin? You know, if you do well, will you not be accepted? As in, like, if you're in this, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to respond. And if you don't do well, sin, like all that selfishness is crouching at the door and it's gonna eat you alive. It's desire is, like all those desires that you have, dude, those are gonna run you. And they're gonna ruin you. But you must rule over it. Cain spoke to his able, his brother, his able, Abel's brother and when they were in the field, Cain you know, rose up against him and killed him. First worship service in the Bible and a guy dies. Cain's failure at the altar produced death in the field. Okay, let's keep going. Next set of brothers, Nadab and Abihu. This is in Leviticus 10. These guys, it's their first day on the job. The blood of ordination is on their big thumb and their lobe and their big toe. First day on the job, here we go, all right. And these guys take censer and they put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire, fire that God didn't ask for. Strange fire, weird fire. It's like, what are you bringing? What is that? Well, I'm, I like to worship kind of the way that I like to. And God's just like, yeah, that's not gonna work. And they died. Fire consumed them and they became crispy chicken. A death at a worship service. Because they're presuming, assuming, and speculating on God. And, and, and worship. And God's just like, yeah, <laughs> that's not gonna work. I need to be honored in front of all of Israel. And I love you, but that's not gonna work. Okay, next verse. This is David. David's a good, I mean, he's a king of worship, dude. Right? He's amazing. 
and he's wanting to bring the Ark of the Covenant. Do you remember that golden box, the Ark of the Covenant? Uh, is like God's throne room, okay? Like it's, it's where he hung out on earth. It's a golden box. It's overlaid with gold so you know it's important, yeah. right? It should indicate that this piece of furniture yeah. is important, right? So David's like, hey, let's, let's throw a worship party and we're gonna bring the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem and we're gonna set it up and we're just gonna worship God. It's gonna be bananas. And so David and all the house are celebrating before the Lord and they got songs and lyres and harps and tambourines and castanets and cymbals. The whole band's going. And when they come to the threshing floor of Nakan, Uzzah put out his hand. Okay, let's talk, let's talk about Uzzah for a second. Uzzah's a priest. As a priest, he should know the law of Moses. In the law of Moses, God stipulates, hey, this is how I wanna be carried. It's not a big deal. It's, I just want to be, I, this is, how, when you transport me, I want to be transported like I'm a king. Because yeah. I am. Yeah. And when you have me with you, you're going to win all your battles. I'm going to bless your socks off. So just treat me with a bit of respect. Yeah. Right? Uzzah skipped that part of his reading. Let's go back to this part here. Uzzah put out his hand to the ark of God and took hold of it for the ox and stumbled. Uzzah thought it would be a good idea to put the ark of God on an ox cart pulled by two oxen. It's like the modern day equivalent of putting anything that you care about that's precious, you know, I mean, I don't know, a brand new TV in the back of a ute. I mean, we'll just strap her down, it'll be fine. No, it won't be fine. You know what I mean? You ever seen somebody with like a dog in the back of the ute and you're like, ooh, dangerous. Your wife does not go in the back of the ute. <laughs> oh, we'll just strap her down with a bungee cord. She'll be fine. No, she won't be fine. You weirdo. She rides up with you. <laughs> you hearing me? <laughs> right? <laughs> so Ooze is like, yeah, we'll just put her in this, this, this cart. No, it's a golden box. Oh, it'll be fine. We'll just bungee her down. You know? No, don't do that. No, it'll be fine. Okay, dude. Your funeral, literally. <laughs> Uzzah put out his hand, because obviously the cart, the oxen stumble. Now the Ark of the Covenant's going sideways. He's like, uh-oh. And God's like, dude, you suck. And uh, kills him. Another death at a, at a worship service. Are you seeing this? Because his error, because he didn't follow the protocol. David has great intentions. Well, my intention was, yeah, it doesn't matter. You, you got to show honor and respect and, and serve the Lord the way that he wants to be served. Okay, so this is a parallel passage here in Chronicles. Parallel passage here. David summons the priest. This is after this had happened, after this, this mistake. And so he summons the priests, and he says, guys, you're the heads of the father's house of the Levites. Um, next, next, next part. Consecrate yourselves, you and your brothers, so that you may bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel, to the place that I have prepared for it. Because you did not carry it the first time the Lord our God broke out against us because we did not seek him according to the rule. So the priests and the Levites consecrated themselves to bring up the ark of the Lord, the God of Israel. And the Levites carried the ark of God on their shoulders with the poles, as Moses had commanded according to the word of the Lord. God's just like, just carry me. No, no old youths with bungee cords, please, you hearing me? Next verse, this is uh, Uzziah, 
There's this passage in the book of Isaiah. It says, in the year that Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on the throne, exalted. And the train of his robe filled the temple with glory. The whole earth was filled. And, and the Lord says to Isaiah in, the, in, this, in this vision, hey, do you want to come work for me? And Isaiah's like, no. I have a potty mouth. Everybody I know has a potty mouth. We're unclean, dude. I, I, can't, I would not be able to work for you. I'd die. He's saying this because he's read the law of God and he's going, that's my measure. I am not worthy of working for you. And God goes, I love that. I love that response. Self-consciousness. You've read my word and you know that you aren't holy. I'm gonna make you holy. And so, are you hearing me? See that humility. He shows that humility before the word of God and before God and God cleanses him. Takes the, right, the angel takes the coal and cleanses his lips. Well, this is, this is in response to a, a, an opposite happening here. Uzziah, is a, he was a good king. He had a great start. But when he was strong, he grew proud to his destruction. No self-consciousness. He begins to presume, assume, and speculate upon the grace of God. He was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Man, the kings were supposed to have a copy of the law of Moses. Had he just read his copy of the law of Moses, he wouldn't have done this like Nadab and Abihu. If he just read the Bible, he, would have, he wouldn't have experienced what he's about to experience. You hearing me? But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. And they withstood King Uzziah and they said, dude, stay in your lane. Don't do this. This is for the priests. Get out of the sanctuary for you have done wrong and it will bring you no honor from the Lord God. Um... Uzziah was angry, of course, Christian Buddhist. <laughs> I'm on a spiritual journey. <laughs> Behold, he was leprous in his forehead, and they rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried out to go because the Lord had struck him. He's like, I'm out of here, you know. Death at a worship service. Okay. We just read a bunch of Old Testament stories. Okay? And some of us are going... That's the Old Testament. And you're right, it is the Old Testament. But you're going, that's, the Old Testament is like, that's the father and he's the bad cop. And then the New Testament is like, it's about Jesus and he's the good cop. You know, and like you're at the police station and the father's all up in your grill and he's like, where are the drugs? And he hits you over the head with a phone book. You know what I mean? You're like, oh! Right, and then Jesus comes in, oh, I'll save you from him. Here's a cigarette and you're like, <laughs> That's a bad theology, okay? There's no congruency there theologically. There's no continuity there. No, that's not how it works. Same God, no shadow of turning. Same yesterday, today, and forever. Okay, now, now watch this, watch this. Acts chapter five. I'm gonna give you a couple New Testament references to scare you. Okay, I'll just summarize. In Acts chapter five, they're at a worship service. Yeah. People are bringing things to the apostles' feet. They're worshiping the Lord with their money. And Ananias and Sapphira are trying to get something out of it yeah. that they shouldn't be trying to get. They're making church all about themselves, yeah. right? And God's just like, this isn't gonna work, and both of them die. Yeah. So how do you explain that? You hearing me? 
Okay. All right. 1 Corinthians 10. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's setting up 1 Corinthians 11, which is going to be the last story that we read. In 1 Corinthians 10, Paul's saying, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? As in, you know that, the communion, that you guys do communion at church here? Of course you do. Yeah. So that's not just a mid-service snack. It's a cup of blessing. You hearing me? There's, there's power in the blood. There's this old song we used to sing. There is power, power, wonder-working power. That's it. And so Paul's saying, hey, guys, you know that, that thing that we do? It's a cup of blessing because you're participating in the blood in the body of Jesus Christ, which are the most powerful elements in the world. And so when you take them and you eat them, you are eating and drinking blessing and wholeness into your life. Material, spiritual blessing, both. You hear me, he was, he was, he was wounded for our transgressions and by his stripes I'm healed. That's not just soteriological. We have real experiences of the healing of God in our lives. God cares about your life and he wants to manifest his goodness in your life. And when we eat of the table of the Lord, we receive real life, holistic life. Jesus said, I've come that they'd have life and life to the fullest. And communion is one of the ways that we eat and we drink the grace of God into our life. And as a charismatic, man, I'm all for that. I think us Protestants have sort of like undervalued as a reaction to Catholicism, communion, right? Because the Catholics were like, yeah, no, you were eating blessing because it's his literal body. And we're like, whoa, calm down. <laughs> right idea though. Jesus is really here. His presence is really here. And when we eat that, we're eating blessing. Okay, so he's setting up 1 Corinthians 11. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians 11. This church is a dumpster fire. The one, the Corinthian, not this one. Uh, the Corinthian one. <laughs> In 1 Corinthians 11, Paul begins, he begins to talk about, you know, angels and head coverings and this weird stuff. And then he gets into this section. And he says in this section, it's worse when you gather he says to this church, your church is so bad that when you come to church, it's worse. That's how bad their church was. How bad does your church have to be for the Bible to say it's worse? He says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. You know, because if it was the Lord's Supper, there'd be good things that would be happening. He's like, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? What are you thinking? You know, like, you know, somebody's just like, I, I am dying. I need something to eat. I can just a little drink. And there's one dude that's just like hammered on the floor. I drink all of that. You know, the pastor's just like. In the early church, this is how they this is how they they'd, they'd have a worship service. They'd have a potluck, it was called the love feast. Everybody would bring, you know, potluck. We used to act, church would be like this in the 80s, actually. <laughs> it was horrible. Um, chili again, come on, you know. So they'd have potluck, and, um, and the rich would bring the food. The poor obviously didn't have any food to bring. 
They'd eat the food together, they'd share it, then at the end, they'd take the bread and the wine, they'd say, okay guys, we're not just here for a potluck, we're here to, to celebrate Jesus. And so they begin to talk about Jesus and, and the Holy Spirit would begin to show up because the Holy Spirit is the one who manifests the presence of Christ in the church. And so the Holy Spirit would show up and the gifts would begin to manifest and people would begin to prophesy and speak in tongues and, and minister to one another and there'd be words of knowledge and healings, etc. The Holy Spirit showing up because he's really there because he's giving witness to what they just did with the, the Eucharist. And then there'd be a time of singing and then they'd have teaching, okay? And what's happening here <laughs> are these rich people are eating all the food. And they're making church all about themselves. Watch this. Okay, so what, you think I'm gonna commend you in this? No, I will not, <laughs> right? Next verse. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who, drink, who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. It's the adverse of the cup of blessing. The cup of blessing has now become a cup of judgment. Contextually, what's happening in 1 Corinthians 11? People, how do you eat of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner when you're making church all about yourself? Because Paul will sandwich this, this section. Because at the end, he'll say, wait for one another when you eat. Then it gets really spooky. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. Okay, so we just read narratively through the entire Bible. We've terminated in clear apostolic teaching in 1 Corinthians 11, and it's saying the same thing. That when you don't worship God the way he wants to be worshiped and you're making it all about yourself and the Bible's whatever I want and this is what God's like and I could never serve a God who's like this because I, God is this and this and this and this disgusts me about the Bible. Dude, that's dangerous. If you're a sinner, you should eat communion because you need it. You need the grace of God to help you. You need empowerment. Who is communion for? People who need Jesus. You hearing me? People who are unclean and need the grace of God in their life. But if you are proud and arrogant and you're gonna, you know, manipulate, I believe that the whole, you know, I believe in the feminine God. Well, you just, you just told God his pronouns. You know what I mean? That's not God. You, you've just created a God in your own image. That's a dangerous way to serve the Lord. Well, I believe that, you know, like, God just, like, lets everybody do whatever they want. Yes, so do you read the Bible? No, because it's problematic. Yes, so that's dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> that's eating of the table of the Lord in an unworthy manner. Yeah. It's not safe to worship God like that. The, the safest way to worship God is go, God, uh, I need you. I'm, I'm messed up. I have a lot of problems, and I agree with your word. <laughs> When you get to the word and you see something that you don't like, you go, um, let every man else be a liar. God, you're the one that's true. I will assume that I'm the one that's wrong and you're the one that's right. Yeah. No, Lord, I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna worship you the way that, God, I'm gonna worship you the way that you wanna be worshiped. God, church is about you 
and yours. I'm here to minister to you. I'm here to minister to others. And paradoxically, those that refresh others will themselves be refreshed. God, of course I'm gonna be refreshed in your presence because you're here. There's this part in the, in, in the Catholic Mass. Any, any ex-Catholics here? There you are, I love you. I've been to Mass a, a ton of times. My parents were both Catholics. They're Pentecostal pastors now. But um, There's a part in the Mass where the, the church takes, takes, the, takes the, the Eucharist and the church says this together. They say, Lord, I'm not worthy that you should enter my house. Only say the word and your servant will be healed. Wow. I love that bit in the mass. Yeah. That is so good. Okay, God, I'm, I shouldn't even be here. But I'm here because of the blood of Jesus because you loved me. You are holy and you are loving and you're patient and you're so kind, and you suffer long, and you're so patient with me, God. You're, and your loving kindness is insane, and, and you've removed my sin so far from me. God, I believe your word, and I tremble at your word, and I'm not gonna presume, assume, or speculate upon your grace, but I'm gonna humble myself before you. God, I, I'm, there, are, there are times that I'm wrong, and I agree with your word. I need you. I'm not worthy, but I receive you. Last person, we're done. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship. Acceptable worship. Worship that he's asked for. He's asked us to worship in spirit and in truth. Lord, I will believe your word. I will believe your word, Lord. When it's not popular, I'm gonna believe your word. When it's not socially acceptable, I'm gonna believe your word. I worship, I worship you, I worship the God of the Bible. You've revealed yourself, and I will give you acceptable worship. Lord, thank you that you're not looking for perfection. You're just looking for somebody who will admit, God, I need you. With reverence and awe. With reverence and awe. For our God is a comfy pillow. Right? No. No, this bit's supposed to make you pee in your pants a little bit. <laughs> right, the author's going, yo, reverence and awe, because he's a consuming fire. Oh, good point. It's a great thing to remember. Growing up in Canada, we, um, we did bonfires all the time. Do you guys do bonfires in, in South Australia? There's nothing like a bonfire. And... Um, I had high school friends who would like get drunk and they'd build these huge bonfires and like, you know, jump over bonfires and do, you know, jump in bonfires. Canadians are, there's nothing to do. It's really cold and icy, you know. And, um, you know, I remember a guy showing up to high school and he like lost his eyebrows and like half his hair. And I'm like, what happened to you, dude? I got drunk at the bonfire, man. And it's like, hey, enjoy that, you know. I've never in my life ever been scared of, a, of an invitation to a bonfire. I love bonfires, are you kidding me? It's so good. You sit down, you get your blankets, you get your hoodie, you get your marshmallows, graham crackers, chocolate, hot dogs with a stick, you know what I mean? Hanging out with your friends. You, still, you smell smoky the next day, it's awesome. I'm never scared though of going to a bonfire. 
because I respect fire. You hearing me? When I think of a bonfire, I only think of joy and happiness and wonderful and, oh, it's gonna be so, it's gonna be amazing. Right, because I reverence and awe. Right? There's a reality about fire that I do not transgress. Church, like the, the title of my sermon is not Sometimes God Kills People. Some of you have been like, what is happening? I am terrified. I don't like this guy. This is weird. That escalated quickly. That's not the title of my sermon. The title of my sermon is what is God like? God is holy and he's loving and he should be reverenced and he should be feared. And church is the best for people who are sinful and they need God and they confess their sin and they, and they believe the word of God. It is so like, you, don't, you never need to be worried about church and coming to a, bon, you know, come into a worship service and people dropping dead. No. As we just honor the Lord and reverence him. My generation desperately needs a bit more reverence and awe. If you're in Gen Z or millennials, I want to challenge you. Don't be a Christian Buddhist. It's not safe. Don't, don't be somebody who's wise in their own eyes. Don't, don't be that person. We're gonna make enough mistakes as a Christian as it is and cause God is so faithful and merciful and kind. But resist that urge to, just, you know, to, 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 to be your own spiritual guide. Submit to the word of God. Submit to your pastors. Decide in your heart that no, you know, I'm not, give me Jesus. Take the world and give me Jesus. Decide in your heart that you are going to serve God. You're gonna serve the God of the Bible, not a figment of your imagination that is politically correct. No, I'm gonna serve the Lord. I don't care what it costs me, I'm gonna serve him. I'm gonna know him. I wanna be somebody who worships in spirit and in truth. And it'll go well for you, you will be blessed. But if you, if you take the other journey, there, there's, we've read these warnings in scripture. Your worship might be rejected, it could be worse. God bless you. <laughs> I pray this sermon has blessed you, encouraged you, and inspired you. You know, we may never have met, I may not know you, but God knows you. And I'll tell you today, God loves you. That even before you knew about Him, He loved you. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. You know, so many of us do life on our own, trying to lead our life in a way that finds answers and finds the peace and finds the joy we're looking for, but we come up short. But God knew that you needed rescuing, that you needed saving, that you needed His love. So He sent His Son, Jesus, to come and pay the price for our mistakes. He lived a perfect life, but knowing we couldn't, He said, I will take their place. So He died and rose again so that His death could pay the penalty 
for my mistakes in my past and his life could make a way so that I could have life. I believe that when you believe in what Jesus did and when you invite him to be Lord of your life, you can experience forgiveness, peace, hope, joy, purpose and life like you've never known before. It's not about what we've done or who we're not. It's about that we have a God who's good, who can turn things for good and loves you. He's a father, he's a friend, and you can invite him into your life today by simply saying this prayer after me. I'm gonna say this prayer and wherever you are, wherever you're watching around the world, pray this prayer with me. Maybe you once knew God and you walked away. You know what? Maybe he's getting your attention today to say, come back into relationship with me. Maybe you've known religion, but never a real genuine relationship with God. Why don't you say this prayer too? And I believe this can be the beginning of a great new day. Let's pray. Dear God, Thank you for loving me and giving your life for me. I pray you forgive me for my past and you walk with me into my tomorrow. Let me know your grace, your forgiveness, your peace, your purpose, your joy and your hope into my life. I ask you to lead me and guide me from this day forward. Be Lord of who I am in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer today. I believe that as you did, the peace, the grace, and the love of God comes into your life. You know what? The past is real, but it doesn't have to dictate your future. Let the love, the grace, and the Word of God go with you from this day forward. And I believe the best days are ahead for you. If you prayed this prayer or you want to know more, maybe you're on the journey, why don't you flick us an email so we can send you some material about following Jesus. We can maybe connect you with a local church near you that you can do life with, get good people around you, and we would love to pray with you. I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. I'm so glad you're on the journey of following Jesus. I'm so glad you listened today. God bless.